quite quiet, but quite cozy, isn't it? It's lovely. So it was, um, let's see if we get this working. Uh, there we go. Let's go here. It was Christmas morning. Oh, go back, go back, behave yourself. Um, it was Christmas morning this year, and uh, all the kids were up, and they were opening their presents, and it was great. And uh, my youngest, Owen, was most delighted when he opened up um, this, which was his Ulster rugby top. If you know anything about Owen, you know that rugby's fairly important to him. Um, understatement. So the rugby, Ulster rugby top went with his Ulster rugby track bottoms, and his Ulster rugby tracksuit top, and his Ulster rugby beanie hat, his Ulster rugby scarf. He was telling the time on his Ulster rugby clock, which was being lit up by his Ulster rugby lamp. Have you any idea which team my son supports? Munster. Correct, Munster. <laughs> he is an avid Ulster rugby fan, and you can kind of tell because often when he comes in, I mean, I could even hear people murmuring, he walks into church, in fact, he walks into most places, he's invariably wearing something to do with Ulster rugby, and you can tell that he's quite fond of them. Um, we wear things that define who we are and, and what we're linked to, whether it's a badge or a uniform or whatever. And so what marks you out as a fan of a particular group or a member of a particular club often is what you present yourself as. So the question is, what marks you out, marks us out as Christians? What marks us out as a church? Is it because we have some kind of steeple, or looks like kind of steeply, even though it's not very steeply? Is it because we've got kind of churchy looking windows? Is it because we've got Bibles and hymn books and we've got an organ? Maybe because we've got a band, we've got a massive big cross at the front. Is that what makes it look like a church? Is that what makes us a church? Well, actually, no. Jesus only gave one key performance indicator of what it was to be church, the gathering of the disciples of Jesus. And he said it here. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Um, we have been focusing or thinking about focusing on hospitality this morning, but actually a bigger aspect of it is the fact that um, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Meet God, which is the first of our, our vision statements, Meet God. We're looking at Trinity, we were looking at worship, and we were looking at discipleship. And then we've been looking over the past, this week and last week, about Meet Friends. Last week, Lisa did a cracker on authenticity and being a normal church, which I think is a loaded statement in itself, isn't it? And today, we're looking at the fact that we want to be a loving church. We want to be a loving church. So although it is kind of hospitality. Hospitality is only one particular aspect. Um, that song we sang is, we're sorry for the thing that we've made worship. I think we've made hospitality, a cup of tea and a biscuit after church. And actually, it's all to do with love. We want to be a loving church. Of course we do, because we'd hardly put it in our church constitution. What's the prime objective of your church to be as unloving as possible? I certainly hope not anyway, not the last time I looked. We want to be a loving church. But the question is, why? Why do we want to be a loving church? Well, of course, it's nice to be nice and to do nice things, isn't it? No? Okay, maybe. 
It is just nice to be nice. And when people come to do nice things to them, isn't it? Is that the reason why we want to be a loving church? No, I don't think so. Is it because when, you know, it's the kind of thing good Christian church folks should do is, is to be a loving church. Is that the reason why we want to be a loving church? These are good, but they're not good enough. The reason is that we have to have a starting point. And the starting point is, is a consequence of something. The starting point of us being a loving church is being loved. <laughs> now, I'm doing a pun here. It's actually not based upon the coffee shop just down the street. Our basis, our starting point of being a loving church is the fact that we have been loved. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Um, David Bowie, uh, i put the slide later on, he, he was famous for saying, the greatest thing in all the world is just to love and to be loved in return. I think the Jesus way is the other way around, is be loved and then love others in return. We love because he first loved us. Because loving people isn't always easy, is it? It's not easy because sometimes people are difficult to love. Sometimes people aren't that nice. And so it's hard to be nice to people who don't seem nice. Sometimes it's hard to love people who've got a whole pile of baggage that you think, how how can I even approach this? Sometimes it's really hard because if we maybe assume that a person isn't necessarily worth it. Maybe we find it hard to love because we've had some kind of disagreement or clash with them. And so we find that hard to love. And so it's not the nice, comfy, cozy, warm, snuggly kind of niceness that we maybe like to think of love as. What about then? What makes, what do we, how can we still love in that situation? Well, here's the answer. We love because he first loved us. When we forget that we have been forgiven, set free, when we have been given hope and a future, when we've been given welcome and grace, when we've received and experienced love, if we forget that, then it's very, very easy for us to forget that we need to do it for other people as well, especially when it's trickier. And Jesus demonstrates throughout the entirety of his ministry that everyone he comes in contact with, they experience an aspect of being loved regardless of what they come as. And we have experienced too, because each one of us in some way or another matches some kind of character that Jesus experienced. We have been the lost coin, the lost son, or the lost sheep. We've been the leper or the woman at the well. We've been the Pharisee or the zealot. We've been the tax collector. Or we've been the oppressor or the oppressed, the abuser or the abused. We've been the spiritually arrogant. We've been the doubter, the denier, and the betrayer. We've been the lustful one, the greedy one. We've been the liar. We've been the one who's been prejudiced, biased, and we've been exclusivist. We've even been the ones who maybe hammered the nail into place. We have done all that, but yet we have been loved. We love because he first loved us. And one of the most fundamental things we need to understand about all of this is that truth that we are loved. And regardless of what you feel about yourself or anyone else, this truth, no one falls beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. Not you. Not the person who you hate most at work. Not the person who comes through the doors 
and you think, seriously, what are they doing in this place? Not the person whose life just seemed to be falling apart. Not the person who seems to have absolutely everything going for them. And they've got a big bank balance, big car, big house, big job. No one falls outside the reach of God's grace. If we can grasp that, one, we'll know that we are loved. And therefore, other people deserve to be too. Because it's fine and good to value and love people because of a shared sense of a common humanity. That's great. That's very, very fine. It's even, it's even okay to love people who are in difficult situations thinking, do you know what? That could have been me. That's fine to think that way as well. But there is a deeper awareness that we love one another. We love one another. And we love the outsider because he first loved us. And by us, I'm not just talking about the church. We were first loved as humanity by God. That is our fundamental foundation of why we want to be a loving church. Because first and foremost, we have been loved. As I said, we want to be a loving church. We have to base it on the consequence of the fact that we have been loved. But also, we want to be a loving church because Jesus commanded it. Um, I have a, a kind of a joke. Um, normally it's with someone like Steve Hudson and I go to my good friend Steve and, and Steve does something which is inspiring and, and thoughtful and, and powerful. And I say, Steve, I love you. He smiles. And I say, because Jesus says I have to. <laughs> it's a joke. I don't really love him. Um, <laughs> no. We ha- I say that kind of as a joke, but actually... It's not as a joke because we have had to be told by Jesus to love people. Because it's not really that natural an instinct for us. You know, it's not long until Valentine's Day, 14th of February, in case anyone didn't know. And we have this picture, especially as soon as Boxing Day appears, there's a section at supermarkets with you know, chocolate roses and, and hearts and everything, you know, to sell people to show the depth of their love yeah, with a chocolate rose um, or chocolate heart. But love is so much more than this. We know that, don't we? Otherwise, in the marriage ceremony, what do you mean you're promising to have a feeling for someone? That's, that's not right. Love is an action. It is an intent. It is a decision. It's a commitment. It's a mode and an attitude of being. We needed a command to remind us that we had to love one another. Because it doesn't come naturally to us. What does come naturally is this. I love me (laughs) and you love you. Even people who've got really low self-esteem. Even people who might not feel very much. We are inherently self-absorbed people. And we have to break outside of this in order to love others. Now I'm not just talking about valuing yourself. That's a really important thing. But actually at the heart we often are selfish creatures. We have had to be commanded to love our neighbor, because it goes against our natural instincts. It's maybe why when we see someone do something really generous uh, and really kind of um, selfless, we're so impressed. We're so impressed because we know that actually that's not natural. It's difficult. It's not instinctive. So we need to know how we can go about doing this thing called loving one another. Um, Has anyone watched Bake Off at all? Anyone a fan? Channel 4? BBC, Mary Berry. 
Well, there's a section that maybe some of you know. There's a section where the bakers, they've done one activity, and then they're given a challenge, and they're all behind their desks, and they look at a piece of paper, and it's the kind of the, the hidden recipe challenge. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Um, technical bake, that's what it is. I couldn't remember what it's called. And, and so they open up the thing, and the first instruction is, make custard. And they kind of go, Never made, how do you make custard or make a Viennese something? And, and they go, I, I don't know how to do it. It just says, do it. Now, if they were fortunate enough to watch the Blessed Mary Berry do it, they would know how to do it. And so how do we know how to love? Well, the thing is, Jesus said, didn't just say to love one another. He gave us a way to do it. He said, love one another as I have loved you. It gets even more tricky then, doesn't it? Love one another as I have loved you. This commandment that Jesus gave is in the context of the reading that we had. The context of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That's where this command was given. In what way are we to love? We're to love in the way of Jesus washing other people's feet. Now we can look at all that's different ways. We can look at 1 Corinthians 13 and look at all the different descriptions of what love is like. We can look at the four Greek words for love, the three Hebrew words for love and try and explore that. We can look at the fruit of the Spirit. We can look at the clothing in Colossians. We can look at the one another's. And I suggest you do that. I suggest you look at what the Scripture says about the one another's. However, in this passage, in this episode where Jesus washes his disciples' feet and gives them this command, I think there are four Four A's I want us to look at very briefly this morning. The first one is altruistic. Are you impressed with the word altruistic? No, I was. Okay. Altruistic seems like a very fancy word, but actually it's, the dictionary definition is very simple. Altruistic means it's all about the other. We have a perception that someone who does something altruistic, it's got to be on a grand scale. It's got to be they, they found a charity or one of these Warren Buffett multi-billionaires gives 80% of his gazillions away and he's still got a small pot to survive on of three gazillion. And, and, and we think that's an amazing act of altruism. It doesn't need to be massive. Altruism or altruistic is all about the other. The dictionary definition actually says it is an unselfish concern for others. Does that not also typify agape? Jesus' love? An unselfish concern for others. See, the thing is, when Jesus and his disciples gathered at that upper room for the Passover festival, the meal was already being served and the feet hadn't been washed. This was a big no-no. It is a big thing in, in that culture to have your feet washed, to be clean for this, but yet it hadn't happened. Nobody had done it. Why? Maybe because they thought, it's actually a little bit beneath me. It's what the servants should be doing. And so what happens? Jesus, in a poetic reenactment of the entirety of his story of incarnation, takes off his outer clothes, wraps around him the towel of a servant, and gets down on his knees and washes feet. He washes filthy, calloused, dirty, dusty, sweaty feet. And not just one set, but a whole bunch of them. See, the thing is, love 
is always about the other. Real love is always about the other. It's always about how can I give what this person needs as opposed to what can I get what I want. What can I get what I want? It's got another word. It's called lust. And it's not just in the romantic sense or the romance side of things in the sex sense and stuff. It's about getting what you want even at the expense of others. Looking at all the Bible texts where it says about one another's, there's one in Galatians 6 verse 2 which says, carry one another's burdens. Carry one another. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. It's always about the other. And so I've got two questions. First of all, how selfless are our acts of love towards others, really? Or is it sometimes we do things either because we're hoping for or expecting praise or thanks, a bit of, a bit of affirmation? Are we doing it because we think that person will like us a little bit more? Or people are watching and I'll, I'll get a bit of an ego boost. Doing it with your friends because they're your friends and you're going to be nice to them. How selfless, really, are our actions? And so today, there's a little bit of a challenge, even off the back of this. is how can I, how can we, even today, before we leave this building, how can I be selfless towards someone else? To demonstrate selfless love to another person. Beyond these walls, what can I do today or even tomorrow where I can show selflessness and altruistic, all about the other, love? In 1986, an artist called Steve Winwood released a song called Higher Love. I'm sure some people are starting to hear it already. That's an amazing, it's actually quite a great song. Look at some of the words. He says, oh Lord, show me the higher love. Well, we have seen the higher love and the higher love was typified by a cross. How dare we even think that love is wishy-washy and soppy and gooey whenever it took Jesus to a cross and on his knees washing feet. See, love seems so easy often. So what's the first thing is that it's got to be always about the other. The second thing is that love is about accepting. Now this seems absolutely fine when people come through your door and come across your path and you like them and you get on well. It's easy and lovely and you think love's a fantastic thing, but Jesus doesn't let us get away. He has a thing called higher love and it's in Matthew chapter 5. He says, it's great that you love your friends. I say love your enemies as well. And that word enemies, I hope you don't have any enemies in church. I really hope so. Um, but actually, the word enemies is not, is not just about people with daggers towards each other. It's actually about people who have just not clicked, who've fallen out, who've just got a little bit of angst between them. People who are not your friends or you don't know yet. Jesus said, love your enemies as I have loved you. And so he washes his disciples' feet which is humiliating enough, and we know that. And then we think of whose feet he actually washes. He washes the feet of Peter, the denier, and the one who is an expert footer-innerer. <laughs> if he has something to put his foot in, he tends to do it. Jesus washes the feet of James and John, the ambitious brothers who really wanted positions of responsibility and authority in Jesus' team. He washed the feet of Philip, who was a really keen bean, but actually sometimes just didn't get the right end of the stick. He washed the feet of Thomas, who ultimately would doubt him. He, he washed the feet of Simon the Zealot, a terrorist, probably someone who had a murder charge or two against him. He washed the feet of Matthew, a tax collector, collaborator of the Romans. He washed Judas's feet, 
knowing he was going to betray him. Let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus washed the feet of the person who was selling him out to be crucified. Jesus washed his feet. Jesus loved and accepted all of these guys. In fact, all throughout Jesus' ministry, everyone he came across, he loved and accepted. Most of these people were major social and religious rejects, the outcasts, the ones the church of the day wouldn't entertain at all. Jesus accepted them. At SBC, we want to be a loving church in the manner of Jesus. We, when we were putting this series together, we were trying to think of these little phrases. And we started off saying, we are dot, dot, dot. And actually, we maybe are a loving church, but we want to be a loving church in the manner of Jesus. There's something aspirational about this as well. Something we want to get there. And this is why welcome and hospitality is so key and goes beyond just making a cup of tea and having a chocolate biscuit. It's why it's so important within a family, within a church. Jesus accepted and loved people where they were at, not how they were. He loved people how they were, not how he wanted to be, sorry. He accepted people as they were, not how we might like them to be. And we thank God for that because that's exactly how he accepted you and how he accepted me. How we are, not how ideally he would want us to be. And we have to follow a similar suit, don't we? We love because he first loved us, not because the person has an inherent worth on their own and has earned our love. We love because he first loved us. But this word accepting has become quite loaded in the kind of church and and religious context of, of late. People think that maybe if we use this word accepting, it means that if we accept a person, if we welcome a person through the doors, then we are endorsing everything that they do. And I think one of the most important quotes, one of these vital quotes of our day is from Pastor Rick Warren when he writes this. Please absorb this because I think as a culture we need to hear this. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Jesus never did, and yet he was compassion personified. The welcome does not equal endorsement. And our policy is best we can, and we don't always succeed, is to welcome and accept whoever comes through these doors. Anyone who is seeking God, regardless of what baggage, burdens, or bonuses they may bring. Remember, as an example of the depth of love, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And in such a mixed group of people in in this church and around our country, we're bound to have clashes, we're bound to have conflicts, we're bound to have disagreements. It's only natural, even within a church, we may disagree with something theological or something ethical or something completely pointless, just a point of view or your favorite football team, how we spend our time, our money, our different priorities, regardless of our differences, we are told to love one another. And one of the things I'm really proud of, one of the things we're really proud of in this church is the number of people who have disagreed well of late over a number of different things that have demonstrated love for one another by being honest about their disagreements and loving one another through them. That's grace of God. 
But regardless of the obviousness or the hiddenness of sin or sinfulness, regardless of the obviousness or hiddenness of the hurt that we carry from other people's sin and sinfulness, regardless of that, we want to love the Jesus way and let the Holy Spirit do his role. Billy Graham said this amazing thing. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge and my job to love. Do you agree with that? I hope so, because I think a lot of the church has done it the other way around. And God, God, you need a bit of a hand. I think I better help you convict other people. I think I better give you a hand judging. I'm not dissing what the scriptures say. Jesus judges. And if anyone thinks that Jesus didn't judge, I'm sorry, read the gospels again. But he welcomed. He loved. It is our job to love. So regardless who comes through our doors and wants to be in this place generally seeking God, whether they are greedy or gay, whether they are liars or promiscuous, whether they're alcoholics, lusters, envious, whether they're ex-cons, whether they're drug dealers or drug users, atheists, agnostics, spiritualists, or pagans, if they come through this door, our aim is that they will be loved and welcomed in the name of Jesus Christ. I really hoped for an amen there. That is what it means to love the Jesus way. And if anyone's sitting there going, oh, but if someone comes in and I welcome them and I love them and it looks like I'm agreeing with everything they do, nonsense. James Emery White writes this, acceptance is not an endorsement. It is an embrace. Acceptance is not an endorsement. It's an embrace. As the prodigal covered in tattoos, smelling of pigs, with piercings, with foul language, smelling to high heaven, is wrapped in the arms of a loving father who says, welcome home. I really want to love that way. I don't know if you do. The third thing is about being attentive. I love in this story that as Jesus goes around and washes everyone's feet, Peter, of course it's Peter, has to open his mouth, doesn't he? He goes, hold on a second, Jesus, I'm not too sure about this. What's going on? And Jesus doesn't say, don't be stupid, Peter, just let me get on with it. He engages with him. He pays attention to him. And this is incredibly tough because I think we are in a, in a culture which bombards us with distractions, with our phones, our computers, our jobs, our timetables, our family pressures, clubs, societies, places to go, things to see, things to do. We are bombarded all the time. We live an incredibly fast, non-margined life. We almost have a form of attention deficit because we are always distracted by something. Something else is on our minds. And we live in a society that actually has a massive epidemic. And that epidemic is one of loneliness and isolation. It was great Lisa mentioned about what was happening on Wednesday because we were privileged to be at the Common Purpose um, kind of uh, faith forum that Peter highlighted. Absolutely deserved the honor that the church have given you. Given you a round of, I know you're shaking your head, but never mind. Um, because our brother has done a great thing for the kingdom of God and continues to do so. So honor him, bless him, and encourage him. But it was amazing to hear what the church, and Peter was very sure to say the church in Skifton, has been doing for those people who feel isolated 
and lonely. And we're not just talking about people who are, are fit a certain criteria of income or whatever. There are people who have got a very big pile of cash who are incredibly lonely and isolated. Hence why Peter's headed up the, the Business Friends Club as well. For people to gather together. Because actually, people come to, one writer says, people don't come to church for friendliness. They come for friends. People will often come looking for a connection. And through connecting with us, they will connect with God. Do we realize that? You might be the only hands of Jesus a person ever experiences. And then they come to meet the real life Jesus. We are in a society which is socially isolated despite being one of the most highly connected ever. And that's the benefit of some of the things like the, the, the cafe, the well-being cafe. And uh, was it, uh, I was just checking, it was about four people the first week. 50 people regularly come along to that now. And people are saying it needs to be expanded. We've known this, hence why we've invested so much time, energy, and money in refurbishing the house because we feel that's a God-given vision to reach out to people who want to connect, who feel isolated, lonely, and are crumbling with their, with their well-being being demolished by this loneliness. And so we're probably going to be linking up with our friend Ruth Rice and the Renew Wellbeing Network, which has done an amazing work nationally opening up these cafe spaces where one of the key things is about being present with people. Presence is so important. Surely you've been in a conversation either at work, even at home, maybe even at church, where someone is, you're having a conversation with someone and you know they're looking over your shoulder at the next person coming down, down the aisle. I know it because I've experienced it. I know it because I've done it. And please forgive me. Because we're called to be present. We're called to be attentive to people. To look out for them. To go and ask their questions. To show genuine interest. When you say, how are you? They say, fine. You don't just go, okay. Go, really? Tell me about that. It may seem a bit kind of probing, but we are looking for each other. We're trying to notice one another. We are listening to each other's story. Which goes beyond, oh really, that was interesting, let me tell you my story. How often do we fall into that trap? One-upmanship in our stories. Oh, you were ill, let me tell you about my illness. And the person immediately feels belittled. How about, oh man, that's really tough. And you know your situation is much worse, but you're valuing that person because you are being attentive to them, asking them, listening to them giving that quality time to them. Let me tell you, that was one of the most powerful ways we can demonstrate love to one another is by being attentive to one another. And the final point is by being active. You know, Jesus could have taught this. He could have said, love one another, but actually he had to demonstrate it. In fact, throughout the entirety of Jesus' ministry, he demonstrated an activity of loving and accepting others. And by doing that, it created an atmosphere, an expectation of how the disciples should be. And Jesus got frustrated whenever they didn't, whenever they got it wrong. In order to create that kind of DNA, that loving church DNA, that loving church identity, we need to be active in promoting it and making it happen. It depends on each one of us. Each one of us to make it so. I'm sure some of you have touched on the, the five love languages. It's a classic book about five different ways, a guy Gary Chapman wrote, that we express love to one another, and it was particularly for married couples initially. Um, things like words of affirmation, physical touch, uh, gifts, acts of service. 
I was about to. It's all in the timing. Time um, is the other one. These are five classic ways that people show or experience love, and we all have preferred love languages. He's actually written another one about children, five love languages of children, five love languages of ad- adolescents, five love languages of the, of the workplace. I'd love him to write five love languages of the church. Because it's not enough to say or to think that we are a loving church. We need to actually actively demonstrate it and do it. Every one of us. Notice that God gave us one mouth and two ears. He also gave us one heart to feel, but two hands to get stuck in. We need to be active in this. We need to learn within the community together. That's where we learn how to love. You can't love on your own because love is a dual identity thing. We learn to cultivate love, to foster it. So have a look at the one another's. Go through them. Loving one another, serving, forgiving, confessing, encouraging, spur one another on, greeting, show hospitality, teaching, admonishing, accepting, building up. And those aren't exclusive. Being hospitable, they're not exclusive. We need to be involved in this and do it actively, regardless of our age. And I thank you that young people you're in here being bored to tears. Really gracious of you. But this also includes you. This includes you showing acts of love to one another. An act of love to grown-ups, I know, sounds scary and a bit nasty, being like this with others. You know, last week I had the privilege of being up in Shetland, not Orkney. (laughs) I did get my story straight, as far as my wife is concerned. I was up in Shetland, and we were privileged to go up there and to share the vision of Do You Know Him. It's really exciting. Um, They're going to be doing that after Easter. Um, And it was an incredible example of hospitality. I was blessed um, as soon as I got there. Um, I, I, was, I was fed, I was watered, I was given my own room, I was given space, I was given a tour around the island. I was really blessed, I was shown amazing hospitality. We had, um, we had two services, one in the morning, after that morning service I went and we had lunch at someone else's house and had some more questions and that went on till about 4, 4.30 and then we're at church again for 6.15 for that service. I preached again and then it was back to the lead minister's house where they'd invited more people to come back just for snacks. It was not complicated. It was just snacks and drinks, which went on till half past 11. I was on my knees by the end of it. And you know what? I was just taking snapshots of a beautiful, hospitable, loving community. And I I wonder whether we don't open up our doors. Excuse the the paternalistic view of this. Um, Kind of an Englishman's home is his castle. Forgive the patriarchal overtones. However, I think in all our castles, we've drawn up the drawbridge, both our homes and also our lives. Because actually, if we have open hearts, we're meant to have open hands. If we have open hands, we're meant to have open homes, both here and in our own home. But how easy is it to lock ourselves down saying, I'm sorry, I'm an introvert, I don't do that. Or, I'm an extrovert, that's totally me. Actually, that's a fallacy. Those are things that we hide behind. We can all, introvert, extrovert, shy, outgoing, we can all love one another actively. See, there's a perception and a reality going on about love and acceptance and all these things. The reality is, about Skipton Baptist Church, We are a church that is too small to be big and too big to be small. Which means there's a feeling that you should know everybody and everybody should know you, 
But that's kind of not possible because of the size we are. But yet, we also, when we get into small groups, which is easier in a small church, it looks like cliques are forming and they're noticed. That you wouldn't notice if we were a church of 500. Uh, So we're just in that really strange phase. And we need to show an awful lot of grace to each other. Because there's a lot of lies that we believe about everyone else is. Have you ever fallen for that one? Everyone else is meeting up and not me. Everyone else is going for coffee every other day. Everyone else is and not me. And that is a lie so often. The other thing is about the fact that we have expectations, whether we're aware of them or not, of how I should be loved. Let me tell you, in this place, in Skipton Baptist Church, those expectations will blessedly be met. And they will be disappointed. That is the truth. Because remember, we want to be a loving church. We are on the way there. The reality is people are very full on. We're almost full to capacity in our time and we need to carve out and make priority the challenge of loving. And so we want to be a loving church. And the final thing is that we have a challenge and a choice. We want to be altruistic all about the other. We want to be accepting and welcoming. That's not easy. It's good in theory. We want to be attentive, but that comes. Why do you say you pay attention? Because there's a cost. And we want to be active, which means getting stuck in. We all have to do this. It's not just one person's responsibility. It's not just the ministry teams or the staff team or the deacons or small group leaders. It is all of our responsibility to foster and cultivate the identity and the DNA of being a loving, Jesus-like church. So if you ever sit there and you go, I feel unloved, not included, and never invited. When was the last time you thought about actively going and showing love to someone? Actively going and including someone? Actively going and inviting someone for coffee? It's easy to sit back. What are you personally going to do? What are you as a family, as a small group, as a bunch of friends going to do that will add to the momentum and the movement of us becoming more and more a loving church in the way of Jesus? What choices are you going to make? Are you going to speak to someone who's new or someone who's even maybe old in the church and you just think it's gone past that phase? New whenever you've seen someone You've heard their name once, you can't remember, and it's now six years, and you can't go up and say, I'm sorry. I can only call you brother or sister for so long. You have an amnesty today. You've got an excuse to talk to someone. You can go up to someone and say, I'm talking to you because Phil says I have to. Not ideal. (laughs) But at least it's an opener. Today, after the worship, Make a beeline for someone you've not spoken to before or haven't spoken to in the past or someone who you have had a grievance with that you're going to sort it out with. What are you going to do? Choose to forgive and let go. Choose to move on. Choose to be a giver rather than just a receiver. Choose to be active, to get stuck into the hospitality team, on the welcome team. Bless the people who welcome you through the door, who stand there getting blown a gale whenever you're inside getting warm. Blessed, because they're the first Jesus' experience a stranger has coming through those doors. Join that team. Get involved in another team, the ongoing pastoral care of people. Be involved and offer to be a small group leader. Be involved in a small group. Or even, scary, leave your own small group in order to be in a new one for new people to make sure they feel welcome. How about that as a challenge? 
to invite someone for a meal, to invite them out for coffee, to believe the best in someone and not the worst, to talk well of them and not to belittle them, to choose to get to know someone who you don't know, to choose to give your time, your money, your gifting, your skill, your attention to someone or to something, to take seriously the one another's in Scripture because we want to be a loving church in the way of Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. And we love because he first loved us. This is one of my favorite prayers and I'm going to pray it over us just now. Because this is our prayer. Not that we'd be nicer. Not that we'd be a real accepting, open, anything goes place. But we genuinely offer grace knowing Jesus came in grace and in truth. And so I pray this. May the Lord, Skipton Baptist Church and friends of that, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.